I'm really glad that you're here today to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday with us. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. And I, and I realize that some of you, uh, maybe your first time here, you maybe were brought with visitors, um, and you see a lot of people smiling. I mean, I'm even going to smile today. I mean, this is a, all right. But it doesn't mean that all is well, right? And I, and I know, I don't know what you're going through. You may have come in here and you've got some, some hard times you're going through. And, I, and I'm hoping by the time you leave, you're going to be surprised what God spoke to you through his word by his spirit. And I, I'm with you. I, I've had a hard year. 2014, it was very difficult. And you know people where they say they're so glad they went through difficulty because of the way they grew. I'm not there yet. I may look back in the future and go, wow, God did great things and really molded and shaped my character. But it's still, it's still pretty um, fresh, a fresh wound that's still there. And it was a very difficult year. And I had a lot of brothers and sisters in here help me and carry me through their prayer and encouragement. But I also try to just read a lot. And one of the books that I read I found the most helpful is, a, is a, by a guy and a pastor in New York called Tim Keller. He wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And, and in this book, he shows a variety of sufferings. And one of them is the suffering of death, which many of you have faced and friends, friends and family you know. And he, and he tells this story of a pastor who lost his wife. She died, and they had a little girl. And, and the pastor was struggling. How do, you, how do you process the death of the little girl's mom, his wife, with her? And he was trying to figure out ways how to process this. And one day they're driving in the car, and this huge moving van, uh, the shadow of the big, huge moving van, passes over them. And he thought to himself, and so he asked his little daughter, a question. He said, would you rather have the moving van hit you or would you rather have its shadow hit you? Little girl didn't even think much. She's like, well, you know, I'd, I'd rather have the shadow hit me. And the dad's like, yeah, that's right, because the shadow's not going to hurt. And then he says, that's what happened to your mom. The shadow of death passed over her. And right now, she is more alive than even we are. Now, you might think, well, that's just a little nice little story. We get all sentimental when people die. You know, we do it at funerals. We, we want to tell these good stories so people will feel better. This is just a sentimental story I'm telling you. That you'll feel better when you face suffering, when someone close to you dies. Everything, everything's fine. I think we're moving beyond sentimentality here because we believe that Jesus Christ really did die and really did rise from the dead. Yeah, we're one of those churches that believe that it's not a myth, it actually happened. So if someone brought you here this morning and you thought this is one of those myth churches, <laughs> it's not. We believe that it really happened. In fact, we believe that the shadow of death only passes over believers because the real truck of death nailed Jesus. And on the cross, he was bearing the wrath of God. The real truck hit him. He was buried, and he rose again. And now all of us who put our faith in Christ, the shadow, it's all we get. And when we die, we're with him forever. 
That's what we're proclaiming this resurrection weekend. And as we come together, I always try to go with a different text to, uh, to explain the, the resurrection because we're one of the churches that also preaches through books of the Bible, and we're in the book of 1 Samuel. That's why we have this crown. And in 1 Samuel, we've been talking about a variety of kings, ultimately leading to King Jesus, who lived a perfect life, death, and the resurrected, exalted king. But this morning, we're not going to stick with uh, 1 Samuel. I'm going to branch out, and I, we have interns in our church, and I asked them to suggest a, a good Easter text, and they did, and so if you don't like this sermon, blame them, but they picked a great text from John chapter 11. You want to go ahead and turn there to John chapter 11. Famous story. We're going to see one of Jesus' great I am statements. Are you familiar with that concept of I am statements? In the Old Testament, uh, God revealed himself to Moses as I am, the eternal one, no beginning, no end. And Jesus takes that, that name and applies it to himself, that he is the eternal son of God. He is the great I am as well. He said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And in our text here today, we have a significant I am statement. Look at it in John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Let me fill in this proclamation with a little backstory. There were three people you may be familiar with. Two sisters and a brother, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. It's that story. And in this story that you may be familiar with, Lazarus, their brother, dies. Jesus hears about it, waits four days, then he goes to Bethany where he has interactions with Mary and Martha. This is a family he loves deeply. Let's pick up on a little bit of his interaction, starting with John 11, verse 20 through 22. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha starts with a little emotions, and then she ends with a little orthodoxy. Did you see that? Oh, my brother, he's dead. But I believe that God's still with you, Jesus. Now, she's not expecting Lazarus to be uh, risen from, uh, raised from the dead, but she acknowledges that Jesus still has power, the power of God. And Mary's response is, is almost exactly the same. Look at verse 32 of chapter 11. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. You can just imagine Mary and Martha, they probably said this to each other over and over again over the four days that Lazarus was dead. You know, if Jesus would have been here, I'm sure our brother would not have died. Jesus would not have let this happen if he would have just been here. So they repeat this over and over again. Jesus shows up onto the scene. And these two women are grieving. They're swallowed up by the reality of their brother's 
death, and their pain is deep. If someone close to you has ever died, your mom, your dad, maybe grandparents, brother, sister, a close friend, you know this this pain and, the, and this grieving and this mourning, and at times it can just keep going on and on and on. Over the last year, a certain college president lost his 15-year-old son. I have a 15-year-old at my house as well, and I, and I could imagine the pain I would go through. And it troubled this guy so much that he had heart problems, and he had a particular procedure this past fall And this January, he resigned his presidency. And in his resignation letter, he said this. I am admitting to you that I am broken. I can't get over his death. And I'm not sure I want to. Some of you have been there. You've experienced that kind of grief. And I don't want to bum you out, but pretty much... All of you are going to experience that at one time or the other. And that's what Mary and Martha are experiencing right now, this, this deep grief. Their brother's dead, but now Jesus shows up on the scene to bring hope. Now, I want to kind of pause before we go on, because Jesus is going to interact with Martha, and then he's going to interact with Mary. And his interaction with each of them is going to be different. Martha needs one type of ministry, and Mary needs another. As I mentioned to you before, I was reading uh, Tim Keller, and he's kind of laid this out on the different types of ministry that each woman needs. Think about Martha for a second. Keller said that Martha needs the ministry of truth. She's having doubts. She's having questions. Her faith is having issues. And Jesus is going to minister truth to push back her doubts. He's going to minister the greatness of him as the the divine son of God with the power of life and resurrection in himself. But when he moves to Mary, Mary is not struggling with doubts. When he moves to Mary, he's going to let his emotions show, and he's going to comfort her by weeping with her. And this is called the ministry of tears. The ministry of tears. And there might be a variety of problems that you need today. Some of you have come in here with doubts. You're having some uh, questions whether you can persevere in your faith. And may God minister to you truth and bombard you with the reality of who he is. But some of you are broken and you've been buckled. You're down. You believe And you cling to Jesus, but you need the ministry of tears. And we're going to see both of those responses to these women here this morning. Let's go ahead and start out with the ministry of truth. Look at Jesus' interaction with Martha. Look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection On the last day. Maybe people try to comfort Martha with theology. You ever been to a funeral before and people try to comfort you with theology? That's probably what it was happening. Okay, Martha, your brother's dead, but you know he's going to rise on the last day. And Martha's like, I'll take that theology. At the end of times, I know his spirit is with God right now, but at the end of times, his body will rise. 
So she affirms that with Jesus, and Jesus has something else in mind, right? We'll get to that in a moment. But watch the ministry of truth. Watch what Jesus does in verse 25 and 26. This is his response to her orthodoxy. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you get what he's doing? He's not saying, let me give you some orthodoxy, some good theology, which is great. We want to have orthodoxy and good theology. He's not saying, you know what? I give resurrection and life. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In fact, there is no resurrection and there is no life outside of Jesus Christ. He's trying to get Martha, her thoughts off of grand theology, which is great, and he's trying to center it on himself. He's like, Martha, come here, come here. Look at me. Put your faith in me. I am the resurrection and the life. It's found in me and a relationship of trust with me. That's where he's trying to bring her attention to focus on himself. Because sometimes when we're suffering, some of you want to stay up in your head, which is good. You want to process it theologically. But too many times we can process things theologically. We can have them laid out theologically perfect, but our heart is not connecting. And Jesus is saying, look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. Come to me. And I love how he puts it back on Martha at the end of verse 26. He says, do you believe this? <laughs> I like that. Do you, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She believes that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's coming to rescue sinners. Now, she doesn't fully know all that he's going to do in his death and his resurrection, but she's putting her faith in him. But you know, you know what happened to Jesus. You know he rose from the dead. Do you believe? There's this passage in Romans that says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. I'm not asking you if you believe in the theological, historical fact of Jesus' resurrection, because I hope that you do, right? But some of you can believe that fact, but you're not trusting in Jesus as Lord. It's almost like you hang on to some orthodoxy statement, but don't let your heart go there. And Jesus is saying, hey, let me press it upon you. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And some of you right now in your suffering and in your pain and in your doubts, you are wondering if this whole Jesus thing, this Christian life is worth it. And Jesus is pushing back on your doubts right now. And he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Persevere. Hang on. I've dealt with sin. You will soon be removed from it. Let me press it upon you, the reality that I am the Savior. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Those of you who've been wanting to quit and your pain and your trial and your struggle, let the ministry of truth bombard you. The orthodoxy that Jesus is the risen Lord. Put your faith in him, your heart attached to him. Let him push out your doubts.
That is the ministry of truth. That's what Martha needed. She needed that doubt to be kicked out of her heart. But he does something totally different with Mary because Mary needed something else. She needed the ministry of tears, and that may be what some of you need. Look at verse 33. Different approach with Mary. Same scenario of the death of Lazarus. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And there it is. The shortest verse in the English Bible, Jesus wept. He doesn't bombard Mary with truth and orthodoxy in the way that he does with Martha, but he simply weeps with her. Now, Keller points out this reality that Jesus is the great God-man. You ever heard that term before? He's fully God and fully man. But with uh, Martha, he's emphasizing his divinity, his deity, that he is the resurrection uh, and life and the power of resurrection life. But with Mary, he emphasizes his humanity, that he is fully man and he weeps with her. And now he is our exalted sympathizer. I've been thinking a lot over the last few days. Northwestern is right here. And there was university students over the last few days in Kenya who were shot in the back of the head for being Christian. And I was reading some of the quotes from uh, some of the churches this morning over there on their believing in the reality of the resurrection. And I can only imagine the tears that they are shedding. I cannot imagine but I can say with confidence that Jesus is the exalted sympathizer. He is ministering to them right now through ministry of tears. And I say the same with you. Some of you are so broken. You know the truth. You can state the truth. But you are, you, you are you're just undone. And Jesus comes to you and ministers to you his tears. He sympathizes with you in your weakness. And what's so cool about this? This is not nice little sentiment. This is not graveside manners of helping you feel better. Because I'm not just saying, hey, isn't it great that Jesus sympathizes with you? I'm telling you, Jesus not only sympathizes with you, but he did something about the root problem that is causing you pain. The root problem that's causing you pain, you know, it's something called sin. And so he's not only saying, I'm going to sympathize with you and your sinful condition. He's like, I'm going to step up and I'm going to do something about it. In fact, he is going to kick sin in the face. He is going to overcome it. He's going to take the full force of God's wrath upon himself. And it's interesting in this story, and I love this story, that we are told that Jesus is angry. He's mad. That's a, you, know, you don't expect Jesus to be angry at a funeral, but he is angry. I want you to make sure you see this anger. Verse 33. 
see at the very end there, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then verse 38, it says, then Jesus deeply moved again. This deeply moved language, the scholars say, probably has something to do with deeply indignant or angry. And you kind of wonder, why is Jesus so angry? Because this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Death was not in play here in the original design. After the deception of Satan in the garden, death has reigned on down the line. And now Jesus is staring death in the face. And he feels this internal rage and anger. Well, look what happens. Let's finish up the story. Look what happens. It's a story maybe you're familiar with. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That's the story. Lazarus is raised to life for the glory of God and so that those who saw it would believe. But there's a greater story going on here. And Jesus makes the connection to himself as the resurrection and the life. And I'm going to kind of tip you off on something here. Lazarus came back, but he died later. He did. Came back, but he died again. This is the distinction and the greater distinction with Christ, as he comes back from the grave, he never died again. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And in his death and in his resurrection forever, he has made a way for us to come into the presence of the Father forever. Sin is dealt with, Satan is conquered, and death is defeated. He was raised for the glory of God so that you would believe. Maybe for years, you've been pushing this Jesus guy off. You're invited to church today. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're considering the claims of Christ. But some of you have been pushing Jesus off. So let me just state the obvious, at least to me and those who believe the Bible. Here's what we're saying. A dead man dead. Three days later, the dead man came back from the dead, never to die again. I put it back on you, and I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do about that? If that really happened, which we believe it did, it seems that the wise decision on your part is to figure out what that dead man, now alive, 
actually taught? What's that rising from the dead thing actually about? And what we're telling you, to keep it brief, Jesus is saying, there is life in me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. You want to live forever as a sinner with the Holy Father. You put your faith in me so that when you die, it's just a shadow. You will live with God forever. And you may never have this question asked you again the rest of your life. You may never go to church again the rest of your life, but I'm going to ask you while I have you here. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not just saying up here and here. Rose from the dead. Believe it here. Believe it here. Bow to the Lord. But what is so cool about this reality that we proclaim is that it's not just something for eternity that secures our future. Because we are also saying that the resurrection of Jesus is truth for us now, even in our suffering. I mentioned to you earlier that I had a hard last year, and I I just want to tell you briefly about it. My pain this past year kept on escalating. You ever been there? When you think things are so bad in your life, there's no way they can get worse, and then they get worse. I felt like that was happening to me. For starters, I don't want to get into too many details, but my, my number six kid, I mean, just saying that number six kid should be enough. I mean, you get plenty of problems, but my number six kid required a significant amount of attention and visits to specialists for out-of-control behavior that has pushed the tension level at my home to the highest it's ever been. It's like we're with with our staff in the office, and they say, Jason, are you going home anytime soon? I would say, I hope not. (laughs) Because I know when I get there, the tension level is going to be way up here. So if you can actually go home and relax, invite me over, please. Because the tension level at our home is so high. And what I did, I, I just kept coming back to Jesus, and I would say, okay, my faith in the resurrected Christ is not in vain. This is not a waste of time. This is not in vain. Jesus is real. And I want to tell you that, minister truth, you have doubts right now? You're thinking about quitting, not persevering, not continuing? Your faith in Jesus is real. It's not in vain. It will be done soon, and all the pain that you're experiencing now is going to be very light and momentary compared to the glory that's coming. Let the truth of Jesus and his resurrection empower you to persevere. So that's where I was at. But then the fall hit, and my suffering level went like this. Boom. My oldest son, he's a golfer. He was playing on a golf course, and uh, he was out there on the runway. I don't know, runway. You don't call it the runway. The fairway (laughs) under a tree, a plane. He's there, and he's hit in the head by a golf ball. So he's hitting the head. He's gushing blood. They take him to the ER. He gets some staples put in his head. But that's not the bad part. The bad part was the following concussion. 
So I have a highly functioning 16-year-old who basically drops out of school for weeks, taking him to doctors, to specialists. And it's, it's like our, we're already here, and we've just gone to another level. But I'm going to tell you what makes it even harder. So I want to make sure you listen to this. Some of you are married, right? Now, if you're married and you're not a liar, you know that marriage is hard, right? If you think marriage is easy, you've been married for like a day. (laughs) Wait till tomorrow, all right? So marriage is hard. But when you have this going on in the home, and then you add this, and you have two sinners trying to figure out this and this and love each other, life is really, really, really beyond my ability to bear. And I just want to tell you, I, I, I buckled. I crumbled. And I moved beyond needing the ministry of tooth. And I, and I just need the ministry of tears. I just need to know, Jesus, you've been here. You know what's up here. I just need you. I need grace. I need mercy to help me in my time of need. And some of you are there. You're standing strong in the truth, but you're emotionally broke. Jesus is there. Your exalted sympathizer. You come to him, he will minister to you grace and truth that will help you in your time of need. He will be there ministering his tears. Wherever you're at, my brothers and sisters, your faith in Christ is not in vain. He really is our exalted Savior, Lord, and sympathizer. And may you hold to the reality when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord, it's amazing how we can smile and be filled with joy at the resurrection of Jesus and at the same time be internally and maybe even externally broken and filled with so much pain and suffering. How can the two exist within our own bodies? It's because you are true. You are real. And where my brothers and sisters in here especially the ones that have doubts, want to know if it's worth it, may you minister your truth to them right now. This is not make-believe. This is not phony. Jesus really has risen from the dead. He's dealt with sin. This won't last much longer. Let them know that their faith is not in vain, that you are the resurrection of life, and one day they will rise as well. But for my brothers and sisters in here, or the man or the woman in here who is buckled and broken and done, may they turn to you and find you ministering tears to them, you exalted sympathizer. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that our faith is not in vain, our tears are not in vain. Our clinging to you is not in vain, for you are the resurrection and the life. Amen.